Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Um, So the reading is going to be John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to no end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mabel. Um, A couple of um, weeks ago, I was able to go home to be with family. So thank you so much. Uh, Many of you were praying for me. Thank you so much for doing so. Um, And similar to what Pastor Ellis shared last week, uh, when you're around family, around the dinner table, there are stories that are shared um, that just won't die um, of childhood and of um, just different memories that certain people just recall differently, it seems, especially parents. Um, like, Mom, that's not what happened. So um, one of the memories uh, was shared about my, I guess, teenage years, um, 13, 14, And uh, we were just reminiscing on the teachers and um, the activities that I was doing and the friends I had and, you know, am I still keeping up with those friends? So, um, lots of fun. However, um, when I was then reading this passage, one of my own memories came through. And it was around the time when I was 13 or 14, I was class president. And I know, right? (laughs) Elected, thank you very much, not appointed. And um, it was fun and a lot of responsibility. Um, So I think it works maybe a little bit different um, back home, but um, it is something that you do 
both in the classrooms and then on field trips. You have different roles that you play as class president or like museum trips or different school events. So for day-to-day um, -day activities, some of the things were I was supposed to have this like journal um, that I would pass from teacher to teacher every time I would go to a class so that teachers would mark attendance. It was like a paper thing, not a digital thing. It was a long time ago. Um, and then after that, I would take it from one teacher and bring it to another teacher. And I guess a in a couple of weeks or maybe once a month, they would make those notes digital. So attendance was checked. Like if you went to a morning class, but then you weren't there at the afternoon class, the teacher would know that, I guess, history is not his favorite subject. And then they would, you know, if attendance is tracked over a course of several weeks and the person is skipping school all the time, they would re reach out to the parents and such. So that thing was a lot of responsibility to carry around because, you know, some students wanted to just take a peek at the grades and whatnot. Um, but on field trips, and um, different school events, the teachers would give all the safety instructions to all the students for like, I don't know, 150 of us. And then they would gather the class presidents, which I think was three or four of us at the time, uh, one for each class, and they would give us more specific instructions that were just for us. And the instructions that were given to us were not like different, then they were given to the students, but they were additional in a way that would help teachers carry out their own responsibilities when we were going on a hill trip. Safety, we were to be eyes and ears of the teachers. If we see somebody just wandering off into the whatever other wing of the museum that we're not even going to, we would say, hey, Joe, come back, like, what are you doing? We are not to um, lose anybody. Well, it's not my responsibility if someone gets lost. It's not like my fault, I'm just 13, which by the way was a lot of work. I'm like, I should probably email somebody and ask for reimbursement of all the labor that I've done at 13. Like, that's a lot of responsibility. I didn't understand it at the time even. Um, and also, we were to mitigate conflict. If there was a fight that was breaking out, we're like, guys, come on, you're gonna mess up the whole trip, stop fighting, you know? Like, we're just gonna go home if something really bad happens and the teachers will get annoyed. Like, we're not gonna go on the school trip and we'll have to sit in class. So certain things like that were our responsibility. So when I was reading John 13, um, I was immediately reminded of those days because Jesus here, after 13, 12 chapters of public ministry that we were all going through um, up until today, learning about all the things he has taught, all the things he had shared to the public, the miracles that he has performed, it was available to everyone. But this night is different. He gathers his disciples. This is an intimate gathering. This is the equivalent of our teachers gathering the class presidents and saying, well, yes, you have all the responsibilities that we told the students about, but you also have a responsibility of being our eyes and ears. Some additional um, characteristic that, need, that is needed is integrity and ethics. If I'm putting a responsibility on my peers to be like, hey, don't, don't be fighting, like, let's figure this out, what's the point of the conflict, what happened between you guys, then I'm picking a fight on somebody else 
that's it. My leadership of any kind is discredited, right? So Jesus here is gathering his disciples in an intimate gathering, and he is here as a friend. He is here as their friend. He is here as their teacher. And he is showing to them that while it is the beginning of the end of his life, he wants to be with them. The beginning of the end of Jesus' life, going forward, um, so in the first 12 chapters, John covers three years of Jesus' public ministry. Now, chapter 13 and onward until the end of the book of John, he's covering the last 24 to 36 hours of Jesus' life. This is the end, end of life of Jesus. Um, we are encountering here that Jesus even entrusts himself into the hands of the disciples. He's saying, I need you as well. You are my friends. I need to rely on you. I will, I will then ask you later to pray for me in the Garden of Gethsemane, a couple of chapters down the line. And he's showing that he's devoted to his disciples. In the last 24 to 36 hours, he could have gone out into the public, gathered the largest crowds ever, performed thousands more miracles that we could have probably not have counted all even. But he chooses to sit with them and to have a meal with them and to wash their feet, as Mabel read to us. He addresses their fears. He gives them specific instructions, and he explains everything to them as clearly as he can, although he says, you now do not understand, but you will understand once I'm gone. He is here as a friend, like I said, versus a public minister, and he's honest with them. One of the things, I, as I was researching for um, today's teaching, I realized that some of them Theologians think that this was the night, this is not the same as the Last Supper event on Passover. This is the night before, most theologians believe. Because the point of this night is not in the Passover, is not in the um, communion that all the other gospel accounts show, but in the fact that Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. The center of today's gathering is the foot washing, not the meal. The foot washing was not an unexpected thing on its own in Jesus' time. You had to wash your feet. You were wearing sandals as you were going from one city to another. And in customs, before starting a meal, you were supposed to wash your feet as a way of like cleaning yourself. And a couple of things, though, that are different today in this passage is that the person of lower status typically would be washing the feet of a higher status priest, teacher, rabbi, which Jesus was. And even peers would not be washing each other's feet. Like the disciples would not be typically seen washing each other's feet. It was usually a servant who would be doing that. But Jesus flips this narrative. He's... Um, his washing of the disciples' feet is very unconventional. And verse 1 explains it. Jesus knew his departure from the world was imminent, and he loved his disciples. In his last hours of his life, he decided that washing the feet would be 
the way to teach them, the way to show them, the way to last spend his time with them. He was showing them how to take care of each other, how to take care of everyone else, and he was actually taking care of them himself in the process. So, as Mabel read, he takes over his outer garment, tucks a towel in, or like wraps around his waist, as some translations say, and grabs a basin of water. The same word for taking off the garment that is used here in Greek is the same word that is used for Jesus giving up his life. So he not only takes off his physical garment, but he's showing to us that, listen, right now, as you see it with the eyes and understanding that you have today, yes, I'm taking off my garment and I'm bowing down before you to wash your feet. But in, in the next couple of days, I'm going to be taking off my garment and completely giving up my life to you, for you. And one by one, he washes each person's feet. And it's my favorite. He gets to Peter, and Peter flips out, as he, as he often does, as we know. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Some other translations say, are you going to wash my feet? So just imagine Peter probably doing this with his arms, like, no, Lord, no, you will not be washing my feet. He's protesting out of love and respect for his teacher. He's not protesting out of the fact that he doesn't want his feet to be touched or he doesn't trust him or he thinks it's not worth it. He's saying, no, 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 not you. Like, there is a process for that, Lord, not you. But Peter was also a listener and an observer. Read this. Jesus responds, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Interpretation of this symbolic act is, unless the Lamb of God cleanses a person's sin, we are not going to have a part in him. Peter gets that this is a part of a bigger message now. Because Jesus already shared with them that he is the truth, the way, and the life. And this is a repetition by way of example, because we need examples as well as we need the, the actual teaching. And we need to see it. And Peter gets it right there, and he flips it and says, Oh, not only my feet then, Lord, but my, my hands and my head as well. Completely going the other way. He gets it, how important it is that Jesus is no longer washing the feet only. He's talking about something completely different, something that's eternal. Although Peter then didn't even understand it, but he understood something. And Jesus says, that the cleansing that Christ performs at the time of salvation, when we say, Lord, I surrender my life, you are now my Lord and Savior. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior of my life. Our whole body is cleaned. Our whole body is washed by the Lord. That act doesn't have to be repeated, Jesus says. You don't have to constantly, every morning and every evening say, Lord, I sinned again, therefore my whole body is dirty again, therefore I'm unclean, please would you come and be Lord of my life again. That doesn't need to happen. Once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are cleansed. However, Jesus says what does need to happen is the repeated washing of your feet. That means the daily repentance, sometimes 
the washing of the feet is more than once a day. Sometimes I haven't even left the house and the feet need to be rewashed several times. Because we need to understand that our sinful nature constantly draws us back. In the flesh, we are drawn away from Jesus. So by washing of the feet, by allowing the Lord to wash our feet once again, we are then saying, Lord, I know that this is you out of all people. Like Peter said, not you, Lord, wash my feet, washing my feet. No, never. But we are coming under his authority. We are humbling ourselves before him to allow such a personal ceremony, the washing of our feet, of our daily life and our daily choices. In Philippians 3, it says, I already said it, but I want to give you guys the source. The Philippians 3, 8 to 9 says, believers are justified when they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But sanctification is a process by which we continue to be pruned and cleansed on a daily basis because of us living in our sinful world and in our sinful nature. Now, when I, got, when I saw the verses that, about Peter that Peter says, oh, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. I started studying First Peter and just read a little bit about him to remind myself that he's not just flipping out, that Peter is very, like I said, he's very observant. He is a good listener. Yes, he has some things on his account that he probably shouldn't have been doing, um, like, you know, the drawing of the sword and a couple of chapters. Like, that's still Peter, yes. But don't we all? Um, the thing is, it struck me, reading First Peter chapter 4 specifically, Peter gets what Jesus is now talking about. At the end of Peter's life, which is accounted for in his own letters, First Peter and Second Peter, you are reading the end of life of Peter's. And as you're reading, it talks exactly in parallel like what he saw during this gathering in chapter, John chapter 13. It says, he remembers the lesson and he spoke about that exact thing in his ministry. The end of all things is near, he says. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, which means don't panic. So then you may pray, deliberately go to prayer. So whenever there is, and those of you who are part of my growth community, um, I love things like commas and so and therefore in the word because they mean so much. They're, um, they're showing sequences of actions. You do this so that, therefore. It doesn't become a formula, but it shows the progression of our behavior and what comes out of it. It says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, do not panic, so that you may pray. Not do not panic so that you may be richer towards the end of your life, so that you may leave a legacy towards the end of your life, so that you know exactly what to do, so you can save your life. No, 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 it says, so that you may pray. Seriously, out of all things you could be doing to prepare for end of life, you are now called to prayer. Above all things, Peter says, above preparations and plans, above writing your will 
and making sure all the dollars that you've saved all your life are accounted for and somebody is receiving them. Listen, there's nothing wrong with making a will. I'm just saying your trust cannot go there. At the end of your life, remember Jesus at the end of his life, the beginning of the end, 24 to 36 hours of his life, he sat down with his disciples and washed their feet. He didn't become famous overall um, and decided to get some more disciples and convert some more people, although he did have the power to do so. But he decided to be vulnerable in the group of his friends and show them how to love and actually act on it, love them. It says, above all things, above all preparations and plans, love each other deeply fervently, on fire, with mercy. Some of the words are used in other translations. Love each other fervently, on fire, with mercy, and deeply. Because this kind of love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is exactly what's happening in John 13. Jesus is offering hospitality. He's going low. He's washing the feet and he's saying, do this. Yes, it's okay to surrender your status for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of loving somebody else. In fact, it says here in Peter, in 1 Peter, that this kind of love covers over a multitude of sins. Last week, Pastor Ellis said that, that um, in his teaching that All eyes are on you. How do you carry out your testimony? How do you carry out the way that God worked in your life thus far? So here, how are we carrying it out? Does my love of my neighbor, of my friend, cover the multitude of their sin? Or am I grumbling the minute I see them do something or say something to me? Am I grumbling and going over to my other friend and say, oh, I can't believe they did that again but actually love. And listen, I'm not talking about love that doesn't address the things. You have to address things. And in the, um, the New Testament, it does talk about how to address conflict and things and disagreements that usually are just intruding in whatever community that we are finding ourselves part of. But it still says that offering hospitality to one another by washing the feet, what more hospitable act do we need? that Jesus himself is carrying out, and he, his status permits for him to never do so. And then in 1 Peter down it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received from the Lord to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Uh-oh, various forms, whichever gift you have received, which means if you play an instrument, Do it as unto the Lord. But then your sister, who is very hospitable, and she's spending all this time to set a table around, I don't know, Thanksgiving, to invite people who don't have family for Thanksgiving. Join in the service, and then join her in her hospitality of others, and learn to be hospitable, because what? The example of you, the example of Jesus before you, is more than helpful, is more than useful for us to join into his hospitality. And it says, offer 
hospitality, and love without grumbling. Do we need to talk about that, church? Jesus wasn't huffing and puffing, saying, Ugh, bring me the towel already, Peter, instead of complaining that I'm washing your feet. Don't you even understand what kind of status I'm surrendering so that I can touch your dirty feet? I know exactly what you're thinking, Peter. I know exactly what you're going to do. You're going to deny me before the rooster crows, and yet here I am washing your feet. That would be grumbling, Jesus, but we don't see him do that, do we? He is showing in full surrender to the cross already. He's already surrendering his status before his human friends. And he's saying, I'm going to lower myself to wash their feet because they are worth it. This lesson is worth it today because I know what's facing them down the line when I'm no longer here. It's an unspeakably high calling that we receive. In 1 Peter, reading down in, 20 verse, in the 20th verses, he is saying, truly, truly, I say to you, Sorry, in John 20th, in verse 20th, he's saying that in 1 Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you. Different translations use the words like that to draw our attention. That is, in fact, true that Jesus was saying, first of all, it's Jesus' words. Second of all, he is, in fact, saying the truth that, can be, that cannot be denied. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. That means we, who are sent by the Lord, are going over to our neighbor's house. We are sitting down with them at the table. And if they receive us, they receive the Lord. Just like Pastor Ellis talked about in his, last, in his message last week, are your neighbors receiving Jesus when they're receiving you? What are you showing to your neighbors? What does that love look like? Does the love that you offer to them cover the multitudes of sins? When you go over to their house and they receive you, do they receive the true picture of Jesus? Because here, like I said, it's an unspeakably high calling. They receive God himself if they receive me, if they receive us. This is our example. There is nothing else that Jesus says in his last words in, his, in this gathering. There will be other last words in the next chapters that we'll learn about the week, in the weeks to come. But he says, you are not above me like a servant is not above their master. So we are not above Jesus. He has the highest standing as the highest priest of all priests in the world. Beyond even our understanding, the type of level of leadership he possesses, that all things bow before him. And yet, he's saying, I know your status is lower than mine, but I'm going to show you that when you have higher status above others, when you are a leader, wherever in the community or your job, this is what it looks like to love. 
And so says, he says, I'm going away, and you're about to be my representatives, my ambassadors. Okay, I couldn't just end here. I had to talk about Judas. I struggled with Judas. He had a wonderful opportunity to represent the Lord. He had all the access to him. He could have asked any question. You know, when my grandma, when we lost her a couple of years ago, I guess it's been six years, all of us found ourselves wanting to gather around her and ask her all the questions, all the memories that she had about her early days, about the war, about how she survived as a kid, just all the things. We were asking her, we couldn't get enough of the stories, we couldn't get enough of her experience of her life. Judas had that. And the disciples, even Peter, in his freaking out moment, he was actually trying to learn more about Jesus. I want you to know that Judas was part of the 12, not because Jesus couldn't read his character well from the beginning. Be like, oh, I just need to fill this 12th seat. I guess this one will do. Or like, oh, this guy looks all right. Let's hire him. He knew exactly what Judas was going to do. He knew that from the very beginning, the scripture of Torah must be fulfilled in Jesus' life. That's how Ju Judas was picked. So now we are seeing it firsthand. In John 6, 64, Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. I had a problem, personally, that Jesus was washing Judas' feet also. Couldn't he, like, avoided that? Or could Judas be late for making arrangements to betray Jesus so that he just doesn't make it to the foot washing? But that doesn't happen. And that's my grumbling coming out. That doesn't happen. Jesus is determined to show love to everyone who will receive it and who won't receive it. And that's one other thing that I learned about the free will that Jesus gives us to truly choose him. He has to really let us choose. And for that to be true, for us to have the freedom to choose Jesus, that means we have the freedom to choose not Jesus, to walk away from him. Otherwise, it wouldn't be freedom. In a book I read recently, by, and the quote will be on the screen, by Dr. Boyd. It says, a freedom which is prevented from being exercised whenever it is going to be misused is not true freedom. Like if you give your kid $5, whatever allowances these days with inflation, you are then watching how they will spend that money. Will they save it? Will they maybe buy candy? Or will they just waste it on something? Will they share it with somebody? 
And whenever your kid is now going to do something bad with that money, I don't know what you can do bad with $5, I guess buy gum or something. Like, you're going you're gonna to just take that $5 back from them. What kind of freedom is that? First of all, that's not showing them that you trust them. Second of all, that's actually not training them to practice critical thinking and saying, hmm, $5 today plus $5 tomorrow, I can have a couple of bucks by the end of the week so I can buy something cool by the end of the month. It's training them so many, it's teaching them so many lessons. Versus when you intervene every single time you see your kid is going to do something bad. So that's a very silly example with something so serious as a life of a human. In this case, not just the life of Judas, but the life of Jesus. It's two lives that are impacted by the choice, free will, that Jesus gives all of us to choose him or choose something else. A lot of people have a really hard time choosing Jesus. They are okay with God, some thing out there in the universe that manages the whole world so that the waters of the seas and the, um, are not coming out unruly, so that the skies are blue, so that the world functions the way that it's supposed to. But actually choosing Jesus, humbling our hearts to say, yes, Lord, I allow you to wash my feet because I know without that I have no part in you. That's a completely different choice to make. And you know what Jesus shows us? That saving faith that he grants is not the same as religious activity. Judas was doing all the things that the disciples were also doing. He witnessed all the same miracles. By association, you cannot just stumble upon choosing Jesus. You have to make a personal choice. And you have to then personally choose him every single day to let him wash your feet. So in summary, I have a couple of points for you. Number one, he was not caught off guard by what Judas was going to do. He knew it all. Number two, he wants us to know him personally. He, doesn't, he didn't go to the cross so that you can come to church every Sunday and just it be your life. That's not the point, guys. The point is to choose him, to let him wash you once and for all when you are justified. And then continue to surrender to let him wash your feet. Number three. Be like Peter. I want to be like Peter, who says, well, at first he was doubting, but then he said, no, no, my whole body also, Lord. I want it all to be cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ. And then four, which is the life application that I think we all need to remind ourselves of throughout the week, the way that we fit 
as disciples in this life is to be the kind of people who will gladly serve and love by washing feet. Gladly, without grumbling, love that covers multitudes of sins, and washing the feet, that means we are surrendering whatever status we may have to come under the authority of Jesus. You don't need to worry about your status. You will have it on the other, end, on the other side of your life. But here, in God's economy, in order to love, pride and status must be surrendered and we must come under his authority to even be able to want to love and serve one another. Otherwise, we just won't do it. In our flesh, we won't do it. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.